Now, this morning, we're going to talk about something that may sound a wee bit um, unusual at first, because it's not something that is part of our world, our culture, our society any longer. It's this thing called high places. Now, we touched on high places a couple weeks ago when we talked about uh, idols and false gods, but I want to talk a little bit different about them here this morning and how they can hold back, uh, hold us back from growing and, and leveling up spiritually. And so uh, throughout this series, we've been looking at different Old Testament kings, those that uh, leveled up, those that didn't, and the impact that it had on their life, their legacy, and their people. Now, Krista said, Pastor Justin's going to be talking about Josiah, and I was going to be talking about Josiah, but I'm not going to be talking about Josiah. Uh, you know, God has a funny way of saying, I'm going to change things on you. So uh, we're, going to, we're going to talk about uh, a repetitive theme throughout the Old Testament through almost the reign of every king, starting with King Solomon. Now, again, we've talked about this. The nation of Israel, after uh, David and Solomon and Solomon's son, Rehoboam, after Rehoboam, there was a civil war actually during Rehoboam's reign, and the kingdom was divided. And, and there was a kingdom to the north called the kingdom of Israel, a kingdom to the south called the kingdom of Judah. The kingdom of Judah was comprised of two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. They were the only tribes that say, stayed loyal to the house of David, who was the rightful king, and from whose lineage eventually came Jesus, Messiah, Emmanuel. So, when we're talking about the kings here this morning, we're going to talk specifically about the kings of the kingdom of Judah, the house and the lineage of David, not the kingdom to the north. But high places, what are high places? You probably, if you've read the Bible, if you've read the Old Testament, if you've read through Kings and Chronicles and different uh, book of uh, Exodus and, and Joshua, you've probably heard that term, high places. What were high places? High places were shrines or altars that were built, constructed on high places, on hilltops, on mountaintops. The thinking was that the higher you were, not, see, people think the higher you were, it meant the closer you were to God. That's not what they thought. They, the people in that time and culture, believed that height represented power, dominance, influence. So they believed that the gods who dwelt in the higher places were more powerful, were more dominant, were more influential. So they would build these shrines and these altars in these high places in order to appease those gods. And the things that happened at the high places were awful. There was sexual acts, prostitution, male and female prostitution. There were child sacrifices. There were all kind of horrible things that happened in these high places. So God leads the people of Israel into the promised land and he tells them, I want you to remove the high places. And so they do, kind of, sort of, maybe. They, they do a little bit, but they don't really take care of all the high places. They take care of some of the high places. Now, the high places, the reason God wanted them removed was because they represented thoughts 
ideologies, morality, worldview, philosophies that did not come under the authority, the leadership. They weren't aligned with the one true God. So he said, I want you to remove all those things. Because if you don't, it will be a constant temptation to live in a way that doesn't align with me. And so the people kind of sort of sometimes remove the high places, but over and over and over again, at best, some of the kings removed many of the high places, but often they didn't remove them at all. And sometimes they even built them. Solomon, considered the wisest man who ever lived, actually constructed high places. So I want to look at just a, a number of different verses that mention high places in conjunction with these kings. So we have this one in 1 Kings 15. He, meaning the king, did not remove the high places. Here's another one. The high places, however, everyone say however. However, were not removed. You may have a however in your life. The high places, however, were not removed. Here's another one. The high places, however, were not removed. Here's another one. The high places, however, were not removed. Are you seeing a pattern? Here's another one. The high places, however, were not removed. Here's another one. The high places, however, were not removed. And one more. He rebuilt the high places. So the kings of Israel, from Solomon, through the time that the people were exiled, were taken captive by the Babylonians. There were 21 kings. 12 of them, when they're talked about, when their reign, when their rule is, is mentioned, out of the 21, 12 of them, uh, high places are mentioned within their reign. And of those 12 mentions, only two of them removed most of, not all of, but most of the high places. Most of them didn't remove them at all, and many of them constructed new ones. And so what that did was it allowed this place, this territory, this area that was not under the authority, the leadership, the rule of God. So it was this place that the people could go back to and that they could just slip away just ever so slightly from the one true God. It brought chaos. It brought devastation. It brought ruin. Now, if I asked all of you to raise your hand, who has a high place up in their attic? Who has a high place up on their rooftop? Who has a high place in a tree stand somewhere up in their barn, up in their feeding silo? Who has a high place somewhere? I would venture to say, all of us would say, no high places. I'm good. In Jesus' name, amen. We're dismissed. Because <laughs> most of us, I don't think, actually have a high place that's a physical altar somewhere where we worship. But we all have high places, don't we? Because high places are those things in our lives that we refuse to submit to the authority of God. A high place is any area you refuse to submit to God's authority. Ooh, I might have some of those. Uh, it's, the, it's those things that you say, I will not let this go. I will not lay this down. I will not yield. You intentionally rebuild. There are areas in your life of sin that you say, I can justify, 
I can rationalize. I can do this. Please hear me. I'm not talking about sinlessness. We all sin. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. We all screw up. We're all going to sin. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to screw up. We all need God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness that flows usward from God through Christ. We all need that. I'm talking about those things that you intentionally, deliberately say, I will not let this go. I just want to have this one thing. God, you can be God everywhere and have everything, but this is mine. This is why it's so dangerous. Because when you do that, not only are you saying, God, you're not going to be God in this area. You're giving the enemy, the devil, Satan, the enemy of your soul, a foothold in your life. That's what the scriptures call it, a foothold. Here's what it says. Do not give the devil a foothold. Now, that word foothold, it literally means place. Do not give the devil a place in your life, even if it's a small little place. Don't give him that place because it's a place from which he can work. It's a place from which he can influence. It's a place from which he can control. It's an open door from which he can come into your life and he will bring devastation. Here's what it says in 1 Peter. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The devil can't roam around in your life if he doesn't have a place to roam around in. You say, but it's a small place. It's tiny. I don't go there much. It's a place in your life and it can bring devastation. So why in the world, why in the world, why in the world would the people of Israel keep the high places? Why in the world, why in the world, why in the world do we keep the high places? I believe there's a lot of reasons, but I, I, I believe one of the primary reasons is that we are scared to give up control. We're scared to give up control because when you give up control, it is full of unknowns. What will that mean to my reputation? Will I still have fun? Will I lose my sense of identity? Will, will it change the, the course of my life, the dreams that I want to pursue, the things that are important to me, my sense of identity, my sense of self? If I lay all that down, if I give all that up, if I say, God, you can have all of this, I'm going to tear down those high places, we go... I don't know what that's going to mean for me. And Jesus, Jesus wouldn't really want me to give all that stuff up, would he? Listen, I don't know off the top of my head everything that Jesus said, but I know some things he didn't say. Jesus didn't say, follow your dreams. He said, follow me. Jesus didn't say, follow your heart. He said, follow me. Jesus didn't say things like, be true to yourself. He said, deny yourself. Jesus didn't say, I want you to be happy. He said, I want you to be holy, just like your heavenly father is holy. We don't want to let go of control because we can't fathom that Jesus would ask us to do those things. But Jesus says, I want you to surrender. I want you to let go. I want you to lay down. I want you to tear down those high places and so what we do is we say, I don't want to, I refuse, I won't do it because it rubs against me. 
So what do we do instead? Because basically a high place, and, and, and the, a high place is that moment when you say, God, you can have this, 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 this. You can have everything except this. I am keeping my, I've given you, and it's when we yell in Jesus' face and say, enough. Enough, you have enough. You want everything? No, you can have almost everything, but you have enough. And so what we do, we actually make bargains and agreements with God. God, you can have everything. I just wanna keep this one thing. And I'll tell you what, I'm gonna keep this one little high place, but I'll never even go there. I won't go there, I won't visit it. It will just be dormant up on the mountaintop somewhere. I'll never go there, I'll never visit it. I just wanna know that I can. Now here's the thing and here's the truth and if you will grab hold of this, it will help you to begin to deal with high places. Here it is, 99% devotion is 1% short. 99% devotion to God is 1% short. You know, you can march down the football field. It's 100 yards long. But if you only go 99 yards, you never score the touchdown. You're a yard short. You're a percent short. Again, 100% is not sinless perfection. 100% is how much you're willing to hold back. 100% is not about never messing up. 100% is how much am I still holding on to? So think about it like this, you're married and you say to your spouse, I am 100% devoted to you, but I'd like to keep girlfriend on the side. I'm 100% devoted, but I still wanna date some people because you know, that contradicts your devotion. You're either 100% devoted or you're not. But, but I'm like, 99% devoted. Will you marry me? I'll give you 99% of my time, attention, heart, but there, there's 1% I'm gonna keep for her. That's hard. Or maybe you don't like that analogy because you say that's just your idea. Okay, so let's look at Jesus' words. This is what he said. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, you're either 100% in or you're holding something back. So if 99% devotion is 1% short, what do you need to do? You need to ask yourself some hard questions. These questions are difficult. These questions hurt because these questions will bring conviction. So here's one question you can ask. Is there anything in the Bible that God asks you to do, that you refuse to do. Could be in terms of relationships, it could be in terms of finances, it could be in terms of your stuff, it could be in terms of your time. Is there something that you know the Bible clearly teaches? And unless you wanna try and do mental gymnastics to explain it away, which is called justification or rationalization, in other words, it's a high place, unless you wanna do that, you know God's called you to do it and you simply refuse. It's a high place. I don't care if you wanna justify it with scripture. It's a high place. Because you know all those high places? Spiritual things happened. There were spiritual places. There were people who actually went to the high places and worshiped Yahweh, Jehovah, God. 
or they said they were, except God had already instructed the people, there will be one place which I will place my name. And that was the temple in Jerusalem. He said, when I place my name there, you cannot offer sacrifices or worship me anywhere except there. And so they made spiritual excuses to go to the high places. We make spiritual excuses to refuse to do what God asks us to do. It's a high place. Here's another question. Is there anything in the Bible God asks you not to do that, re that you refuse to stop doing? Lying, stealing, cheating, the things that you look at, pride, gossip, slander. I've seen some of your posts on social media. You know, there's, there's some gossip and slander and anger and bitterness and hate and rage and all kinds of things that are happening there. And if you put that on social media that never goes away and is there forever, what do you do when it's just you and your family? So you got to ask yourself these questions. Is there something that God's asking me to do in the Bible that's clearly that I refuse to do? It's a high place. Are there things that God has asked you to stop doing that you refuse to stop doing? It's a high place. Now, you really want to get uh, into these questions? Don't just ask yourself because we can lie to ourselves. Please don't just ask your mom. She'll believe your lies. Ask your spouse. Yeah. Hey, hon, is there anything that you know that God is asking me to do revealed in his word? Anything that you would want me to stop doing that I refuse to stop doing? Is there anything that, you, that the Bible teaches us to do that you know I'm not doing that you would want me to do? Ask your spouse. Ask your kids. Kids, ask your parents. Hey, mom, dad, what is it in my life that you see that I'm doing that the Bible teaches us not to do? That, you, that it seems to you that I'm just stubborn and I'm refusing to give? That's a hard question to ask. Ask your friends. Ask a pastor. Ask the people in your connect group. It's why we are regularly telling you, get in a connect group. You need to be surrounded by other Christians who know you, who you open your life up to, and who can say, hey, you know, God clearly states in the Bible that we're to do this. Why aren't you doing that? Because the Bible tells us, if you know what's right and you refuse to do it, it's sin. If you know what's right and you refuse to do it, it's sin. So here's another question you can ask. Maybe you don't want to say, it's not about the Bible. It's not about what I do. It's not about what I don't do. I don't even, you know, I don't want to make it about the Bible. Okay, let's don't make it about the Bible. How about this question? Is there any area in your life that if people saw, you know, those hidden, small, high places, any area in your life that if people saw, they would see a place that is not under God's authority? You know, that thing that's so well hidden that no one else knows, that no one else sees, but if somebody could peer into your life when no one's around, no one's looking, no one sees, and they saw that, they'd say, oh, what is that? You know what that is? It's a high place. It's an area in your life that you refuse to submit to God's authority. Now, these questions are hard. They're hard to ask. They're hard to answer because, like I said, they bring conviction. Oh, but what, what did you expect? Spiritual growth is intense. Spiritual growth takes hard work. Spiritual growth takes diving into some things and acknowledging some areas of sin in your life and saying, God, I want this out. I want this changed. I want to tear this down. 99% is not enough. I want to give you 100%. 
So I don't know what the high places might be in your life. But I know that we probably all have some. Robert Boyd Munger tells a story, and I'm going to paraphrase it, about what this kind of looks like. So imagine your life as a home. Cold, dark, empty, lifeless, no joy. You surrender your life to Christ. It's wonderful. He fills you. You, you, you grab hold of that new life promised to us from God through Christ. Jesus comes in. He turns on the lights. He lights a fire and brings warmth. He turns on music, fills the place with his presence where it was empty and dark is now full of light and life and joy and fulfillment. And you say, this is wonderful. Oh, thank God. Thank God. My life has changed. Oh, God, this is awesome. Jesus, I want to show you around my house. So the first room that you show Jesus is the library, the den, the study, whatever you want to call it. And in you walk. And that represents the room of your mind. So as you walk in, Jesus begins to look around, and you had never, ever, ever felt embarrassed in that room before. But suddenly, you feel a wee bit embarrassed with Jesus standing there, looking at the books, looking at the magazines, looking at the blogs, looking at your favorite websites. Because all of a sudden, you realize there's a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot of garbage, a whole lot of, uh, and I'm pouring into my mind. And so you look at Jesus, and he looks at you, and you say, I'm going to need your help. I, I, I got a lot of work to do to clean this up. He says, no problem, I'll help you. I'm happy, that's why I'm here. Let me help you. You don't have to do this on your own. I'm here to help. And then you begin to show Jesus the other rooms, the garage, the basement, the bedroom, the kitchen, the things that you do with your body, your hobbies, your recreations, the places you go, the people you hang out with, the things that you eat, the things that you drink. The things, that, the things that you do when no one's around, the way you treat people in the living room, you know, that place where it's also called the family room, and all of a sudden, oh, the way I spoke to my spouse might not have really been God-honoring. The way I treat my kids isn't really the best. The way I speak to my parents isn't what God wants from me. And so as you walk from room to room, place to place, space to space, you say, oh God, I'm so glad you're here because I need your help. I can't fix this on my own. And Jesus says, again, that's why I'm here. I'm happy to help. I'm here. I'm living in this house with you. I'm not going, let's, let's work this together. All Jesus asks you to do is be his co-laborer in this cleaning up process, which is called spiritually, biblically, theologically, sanctification. God, but God doesn't expect you, Jesus doesn't say, it's gotta happen instantly. He says, no, we're gonna take it room by room, space by space, area by area. So for some of you, God starts in the basement. For others, God starts in the bedroom. For some, he starts in the library. Others, he starts in the kitchen. But he says, and make no mistake, we're gonna hit every room, we're gonna hit every space but I'll do it with you. And so over time, house gets clean, things get put in order, and you're just enjoying life, following after Jesus. And then one day you come home and there standing outside the front door is Jesus. And he says, 
And you say, what's the matter? He says, there is a smell coming from your house. It smells of death. It's horrible. And I think it's coming from the attic. The word attic isn't even fully out of his mouth. And you say, I know what that is. Because up in the attic, there's this trunk. A trunk that you keep locked. Hidden way back in the corner, covered in dust and in the dark places. Because in that trunk are the things that you never intended for Jesus to see. In that trunk are the things that you always wanted to just keep for yourself. So Jesus says, hey, let's go. So you reluctantly follow Jesus into the house, up the stairs, into the attic, into the back corner. And there, pointing like the telltale heart is the trunk. Jesus doesn't say a word. He just kind of points at it and shrugs like, what is this? What, what's this all about? Will, will you give me the trunk? And in that moment, in that moment, you can find yourself becoming very, very angry at Jesus. Because you look at him and you say, I've given you my bedroom, my living room, my family room, the attic, the garage. I've given you every closet, every cabinet, every space. I've given you everything. Why do you want my trunk? It's not fair. It's not right. Can't I keep anything for myself? Jesus doesn't argue. He doesn't yell. He doesn't scream. He doesn't belittle you. He doesn't berate you. He simply looks at you with love, with compassion, with grace, and possibly sadness. And he says, you are free to keep the trunk. You're free to keep it. But I won't stay in a house that smells like this. So you watch as Jesus walks out of the attic, down the stairs, not just out of the attic and down the stairs, but out of the house. Now here's the question. Would Jesus walking out of your house crush you? Would it devastate you? Would you say, God, please come back. I'll give you the trunk. I'll give you the trunk. You can have the trunk. Or would you say, well, he's not going to really leave. And if he does leave, it's fine. Because at some point, I'll probably maybe uh, sort of get to the point where I'm, I'm wanting to give up the trunk. I'm willing to give up the trunk. And when I'm ready to give up the trunk, then he'll come back. Because that's who Jesus is. He's always ready to run back. But here's what it says in 2 Peter. When people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again. They are worse off than before. I'm not saying Jesus won't come back. I'm saying it's a lot harder to deal with the trunk later because that high place has taken root in your heart. It costs a lot more. It's more painful. It's more devastating. And you may have more consequences as a result. And God in his grace says, I'll wipe away the sin. But God in his love says, you're going to have to deal with the consequences. I'm not just going to wipe those all away. So would the thought of Jesus crush you? The thought of Jesus walking out, would it crush you? Would it cause you to run after him and say, please don't leave? And even if it meant with a hand shaking because you're scared to do this, you hold out the key to the trunk and say, fine, take it. You can have it. But you're going to need to open the trunk and you're going to need to take all the crap out of it. 
and you're going to need to throw it away and tear it up and, and get rid of it because I'm not strong enough to do it on my own. And if you'll do that, Jesus will graciously take the key to the trunk. He'll open it up. He'll help you get rid of everything. And you will find a freedom, a closeness, a life, a liberty, and, that, and, a, and a relationship with God that you've never experienced before. Because that's how you level up. That means you have to at some point say, there are some things in my life that I don't want. See, if you're going to level up, if you're going to level up, you must own up. At some point, you have to own up to those high places. At some point, you have to say, there are some things that I have refused to remove. I've refused to let go of. There are some things that I have refused to do that God's asked me to do. And there are things that I've refused to stop doing that I, I know I need to because it is destroying my marriage, my family, my relationships, my walk with the Lord, my connection with other Christians. It's destroying my finances. It's wreaking havoc on my business. You have to ask yourself, is that high place worth it? Because when you hold on to that high place, 99% devotion is 1% short. When you hold on to that high place, you're giving the devil a place. And the devil will never be content to simply sit there and smile. He's not the Cheshire cat. He will wait and wait and wait. And when you least expect it, he'll pounce. And he will devour you and he will destroy your life. And you'll say, why did this happen? It's because you had this high place. Now, here's the amazing thing. We didn't read this story. We referenced it. Second Chronicles 33, it was the last verse that we read of all those kings. And it was talking about King Manasseh. His dad, Hezekiah, had removed many, many, many of the high places. And it says of Manasseh, he rebuilt them. And he did detestable things. He sought spiritualists, false gods. He actually sacrificed his own children. And God warned him. And he refused to listen and so God sent the Assyrians in and they captured King Manasseh. And it says, you could read the story, it's fascinating. In 2 Chronicles 33, it says they put a hook in his nose and bronze shackles on him and led him into Babylon. But God is gracious. And in Babylon, Manasseh cried out and he humbled himself. And he pleaded to God and he said, I'm sorry. Please forgive me, please forgive me. Please forgive me. And it says that God heard his plea. He heard his prayer. And he responded. And he actually allowed Manasseh to go back home. Because God is gracious. God is kind. But it, it cost him. It cost him big time. Brought pain, devastation that didn't have to happen. So if you've got high places and you've allowed those to stay for a long time and you know God has warned you and warned you and warned you and you've refused to listen and your life is just seeming to, it's just almost falling apart around you, you can cry out to God just like Manasseh. Oh God, forgive me. If you want to read the prayer of Manasseh, it's, a, it's not recorded for us in the Bible. But there is an apocryphal book, a book outside of the canon of Scripture called the Prayer of Manasseh. It's 15 verses. 
it's, a, it's I don't believe it's the actual words of Manasseh, but they're probably close. And it will, it will show you what it means to pray in humbleness and contriteness of heart. So I don't know where you are here today in your walk with the Lord, but I know this, all of us ought to desire to level up. All of us ought to desire to step closer to God. And this message isn't an easy one to hear, but this message can be one of the most pivotal, life-changing, life-shaping messages you can hear if you'll respond. You can leave the high places. You don't have to take care of them. You don't have to deal with them. But God is serious about this. And if you won't deal with them, the consequences can be devastating. But if you'll deal with them, if you'll run to God, if you'll say, I'm, I, I want to I straighten this out. He is gracious. He is so, so very gracious. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do right where you are. Just stand to your feet. Everyone would stand to their feet, close their eyes, bow their heads. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song called Homecoming. Because the Father is welcoming. He welcomes us back. We've all sinned. We've all stolen. We've all done things that we shouldn't do. We've all lived lives that we shouldn't live. God's grace flows usward from God through Christ. His forgiveness, His mercy. Thank God for that. But we all also have those places in our lives where we know those places that no one else sees, those dark corners of the attic of our life that we think no one knows about, God knows. And if you're willing to say here this morning, I'm willing to give you the trunk. I'm willing to give you the key. I'm willing to surrender and place under your authority, submit under your authority, God, those high places. It may be one of the most life-changing days of your life. You'll look back and say, oh, so much changed. So much changed. You can stay bound and shackled with a hook in your nose in Babylon. Or you can humble yourself, cry out to God, and allow him to bring you back home. But you can't do both. So here's what I'm going to ask. We're going to sing this song. As we sing this song, if you would say, that's me, that's me, that's me. There's some sin I need to acknowledge. That's me. If you're online, there's going to be a thing in the chat that says there's some areas of sin in my life that I need to acknowledge. Just raise your hand. Just click the button and say, that's me. If that's you here in person. And as we play this song, sing this song, I'm going to invite you to come forward and let someone pray with you and pray for you. But before we do that, here's what I'm going to ask. Everyone would close their eyes and bow their heads. If you would say there's... There's some high places in my life. There's some sin that I need to acknowledge. There are some areas that I have refused. I have refused. I have refused to surrender to God. If that's you, just have the boldness right now to, to just raise your hand up. Just slip it up. Every eye closed, every head bowed. There's going to be a moment where I'm going to challenge you to come forward. Everyone's going to see. But right now, this is just between you and God. Heavenly Father, the hands that are raised, I'm praying that right now, supernaturally, by your Holy Spirit, you would move. God, that those, we wouldn't just be raising our hand as a show, but God, we would be raising our hand in surrender. I give up. Oh God, you can have it. You can have it. You can have it. 99% not enough. I'm tired of being almost all in. God, I'm giving you it all. I'm giving you it. You can have it all. 
giving it to you. I'm laying it down. God, I thank you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your compassion. I thank you for your kindness. That even if you've walked out of the house, when we cry out, it may, we may have to deal with the consequences and it may be hard work. But God, you'll take that key, you'll open the trunk and you'll help us to be free because it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now, as this song is played, please come forward. Let someone pray with you, pray for you. The one thing I'm gonna challenge you with The Bible tells us, confess your sin one to another and you will be healed. You'll be saved. You'll be set free. You don't have to get into the details. You don't have to get into the nitty gritty, but you have to be willing to confess something. It might be as simple as, you know what? There's an area of lust in my heart. There's an area of selfishness. There's an area of greed. You don't have to say what it is. You don't have to say what you've done, but acknowledge that it's there. If you won't acknowledge the sin and the seriousness of it, you'll never truly remove that high place. So as this song's played, please come. Let someone pray with you.